And if you are staying here with us, I'd invite you to take out your Bible this morning to the book of Ruth. And uh, last week we began a series here on the story of Ruth. And uh, we really just jumped into the first five verses. And in case you missed it or perhaps, I know it's unheard to think of, you forgot uh, what it was about last week. Really, it was an introduction and a look into just how does the story of Ruth begin? Uh, we talked about there's just the themes and kind of the big picture of things going on, right? Ruth is really the story of, of redemption and kindness being shown, both by God uh, and also by humanity. There's major characters involved, Naomi, Ruth, Boaz, Elimelech, Oprah, sorry, Orpah, Chilion, and Malon. Um, and last week, we really just looked at five simple verses, the first five verses, and, and really it's when uh, famine hits Bethlehem, uh, Elimelech decides to take his family and move to Moab where he hears the famine has not hit yet, and at the end of the first five verses of the story of Ruth, uh, Naomi finds herself with no more husband and two sons who have died. And we just spent time talking last week of, of what do we do when dreams turn up to be broken? What do we do when life doesn't go how we thought it was going to go? When we, we arrive at a certain age milestone and we look and say, I, I didn't think it was going to be this way. And we really just try to encourage you. Um, it first begins with just to live and to think biblically. To, to see Christ in all things and to remind ourselves um, that God often works outside of our understanding. I think we don't like that. We think that God somehow has to work within my, my construct, within my understanding. Um, but last time I checked, I'm not God. I created nothing out of mere speaking. God is sovereign. He rules. He is faithful to his word, to his character, to his nature. He knows no other way than to keep his word. And so how do we walk through when, when dreams just turn up broken, when things don't, don't pan out Man, we, we need to be rooted and established in the faith. Right, we talk about how Paul really exhorts Timothy to teach like, that they, people would be rooted in the faith, established in the faith, so that when things don't turn out okay, because the reality is of sin in, in a broken world, it's not if things go bad, it's when things go bad. When that happens, that we would be established and rooted. Kind of out of that construct, that beginning part of Ruth, we move into what we have today. And we're going to look at the rest of chapter 1. So if you have a Bible this morning, I again encourage you to take it out and to look as we read through the portions of chapter 6, chapter 1, verses 6 through 22. This is God's word. It says, Then he arose with her, then she arose with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. So she set out from the place where she was with her two daughters-in-law, and they went on their way to return to the land of Judah. But Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each of you to her mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices and wept. And they said to her, No, we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, Turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb that they may become your husbands? Turn back, my daughters. 
Go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, even if I should have a husband this night and should bear sons, would you therefore wait till they were grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, for it is exceedingly bitter to me for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Then they lifted up their voices and wept again, and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. And she said, See, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. From, from where, for where you go, I will go, and where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God my God. Where you die, I will die, and there will I be buried. May the Lord do so to me and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said, No more. So the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. And they came to Beth- and when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the woman said, Is this Naomi? And she said to them, Do not call me Naomi. Call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? When the Lord has testified against me, and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me. So Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, with her, who returned from the country of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. Let's pray. God, as we just spend really a few brief moments of our week uh, looking at your word collectively together, I pray that your spirit would be here, that it would be working, and that it would be accomplishing things that truly only you can accomplish. That you'd awaken our hearts and our minds to the glory of you and stir us to become more like Christ. In your name, amen. As we talked just briefly, right, the story of Naomi has anything but a story tale so far. All right, she would have not have picked Moab. If, if Naomi were to write a script for her life, it would not to be to leave her homeland of Bethlehem to go to Moab. It would not be settling there. It would not have chosen the loss of her husband. It would not have been losing her sons. But yet here she finds herself with two daughter-in-laws, which she, I'm sure, felt some responsibility for, in a foreign land. See, as time went on, they lived they tried to, to have an existence. They didn't just throw up their hands, but no, they, they tried to provide for themselves. But word has spread that the famine has ended in Bethlehem. In a move that really, I think, makes just practical sense, Naomi decides to return home. See, if you remember, Elimelech was not given a word from the Lord to go to Moab. Elimelech was trying to just be a good husband and dad. He wanted to provide for his family, so he left where famine was taking place and went to find food. And now here, Naomi just tries to be a mom. She wants to provide, and certainly she decides to go back. Now, she would have, again, been striving to provide for herself and for the needs of Ruth and Oprah, while, or Orpah, again, sorry, uh, Orpah, while they were there. And we know that because verse 6 tells us when it says, For she heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. You see, they were out probably gleaning, trying to pick up kind of what was left behind after the harvest had gone through, just trying to provide. It was extremely hard for women in in this era of life just to provide for themselves. Naomi felt responsibility not only for herself, but now uh, these two daughter-in-laws that really were under her care because they too had no husband. 
See, she wants to go home. Because I believe that at least if she was to feel alone, which I'm sure she did as a widow, at least she could be around the people that she was familiar with. She'd go back to Bethlehem where she'd be around her friends or maybe just the loneliness wouldn't feel as bad. The nights would not feel as long and maybe there would even be comfort there. Now, it's not to downplay the fact that I think Naomi had comfort from Ruth and Orpah, but I think it's just the reality of life. Because for you, for most of us, right, when things aren't great, we may choose to kind of remove ourselves, but we often are comforted by being around other people. Right? There's, there's a reason, I think, when, when a loved one might pass on that right, there, there's a gathering together and there's this weird experience in a house often that, that includes pictures, that includes tears that then kind of roll into laughter. And that death experience brings out this whole array of emotions. Certainly, Naomi has been experiencing all of these things. But it's probably been hard because she hasn't been home. And so, again, she decides to, to travel. And what we find really taking place next in the life of Naomi is layered, it's complex in conversation that engages Ruth and Orpah. But what we find in this interaction, I think, is just raw emotion. It's torn hearts. There's split desires. There's loyalty. And most importantly, there's a reminder of a God who knows them all, who cares about them all, right, and is intrigued by their lives and wants to be invested in it. So again, when Naomi learns the famine's over in Bethlehem, she decides to go back right, to get past the tragedy. Right? So she decides to go back there's food there. Again, and, I, and I'm just inferring, we don't really know, but I'm going to guess because she's human, she wants to go back to normal, to heal. Guess what she probably wants for her daughters-in-law? The same thing for them. And so she begins this interesting dialogue that has emotions and hard choices. See, she takes the moments to be honest with her daughters-in-law. And Naomi decides to open up, and she in fact gives them release. She says, look, go back home. I'm leaving. I'm going to Bethlehem. You go back home. Go back. Start again. Find husbands again. Start a family. See, Naomi, in her viewpoint, doesn't see a better option. She truly wants what's best, what she believes is best for them, just when it comes to having what we consider a normal life. She's like, just go. Even if she were to get married tonight, she says, right? Look, are you willing to wait around as long as it takes if I were to conceive this evening two boys to become married again? Okay, she's asking just practical, reasonable questions here. And what in the midst of all of this, two things are revealed, and it's really what we're going to focus in on for the remainder of our time together. The first is this, Naomi sees her tragedy and her heartache as taking place because God is angry with her. And secondly, though Ruth is given the freedom to go, she binds herself to Naomi in covenant relationship. And these two kind of important keys really are important to the rest of the story of Ruth as we keep walking it out. You see, as Naomi is processing out her circumstances, as she's looked at her life, she's evaluated herself, and also just kind of the cards that she thinks are dealt to her, she has come to a conclusion. 
that the tragedy she was experiencing, the heartache, the broken dreams, the loss of physical life around her, it was the experience and the result of God being against her. I right, just look again quickly back to verse 13. It says, For it is exceedingly bitter to me, this is Naomi talking, exceedingly bitter to me for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. And later on in verse 20 and 21, she says, So she said to them, Do not call me Naomi, but call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? When the Lord has testified against me, and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me. See, by the admission of Naomi's own mouth, she again has concluded that, that all this has taken place in my life. It says God is out to get me. He, he's up there in heaven. He's ruling and he's reigning. And somewhere in her evaluation of circumstances, her late night pondering, when she certainly could not sleep, she decided that all this is taking place because God has stretched out his angry hand and decided to place and cast a shadow over the life of Naomi. Now, Naomi probably came to that conclusion as she desperately sought to know why. Why was all this happening? Why was death taking what she cared about most away from her? Why was she in a land that she probably didn't really want to be in? She longed to be at home. See, she wants to have a reason and understanding to why all this has happened. Because prior to this, life was good. And so what she concludes is that God is angry with her. She sees, sees her suffering, really, as God's testimony against her. In other words, she sees that her suffering is proof that God wants to condemn her for some sin that she's committed that she's likely unaware of. Listen, Naomi and you and I are very similar. And you may think, no, we're not. I, yes, we are. See, there's temptation for us to do the exact same thing. Right? To wrestle through with questions of why with the Lord is not wrong. It's not sinful. Bless you. It's, it's not against the commands that God gives us. Right? But we need to have caution to the conclusions that we choose to come to. You see, like Naomi, we all have circumstances that take place in our lives that simply we cannot find the reason to. Right? We have things that have happened to us or happened to those around us that we can't figure out the why. We, we want nothing more than to understand what's taking place, and we cannot figure it out. We don't know why. We aren't sure what God is up to. But we come to this weird conclusion that he can't be up to anything good. And in these moments, there are temptations for us. And the first one is this. There's a temptation for us to conclude that our current circumstance is taking place and revolving around us. See, as we know, because perhaps you've taken the, the time to read through the rest of the story of Naomi and Ruth, God has a bigger story at play here. There's a bigger script being written far beyond the life of Naomi. In fact, the story goes from Naomi to Ruth 
to King David, and eventually to the Messiah, and I would dare say all the way down to us who are outside of God's covenant chosen Jewish people. See, God is at work in, in a much larger scale than the mere experiences here of Naomi. And so there's a temptation for her to conclude here that this is all happening because she's got some hidden sin that she can't even understand or remember doing. So God's trying to just kind of smite her. But that's actually not the case. All this has taken part into the life of Naomi because of a bigger story than Naomi's individual life. All right, listen, church, the same thing is true about our lives. The same God who ruled and operated in the time and life of Naomi is the same God who rules and operates sovereignly today. Because there's great temptation for you and for me to assume that all things that take place in my life have to revolve around me. You are one out of roughly seven billion people on planet Earth. Though our experiences are always, of course, very personal and very real to us, they affect our emotions and our thoughts, we are part of a much bigger thing going on. And that's not easy to swallow, is it? See, we're told in Scripture that we matter. I sat yesterday in a hunting blind waiting for this deer to come by. You know what I saw? A fantastic cardinal, a couple of blue jays. I did see a deer later on, but we don't have to talk about it. But I was reminded as I see these birds that are just magnificent, the way that they can burrow themselves into a bush without making any noise. They're, they're fabulously and wonderfully made. And I was reminded yesterday, the scriptures talk about that, that God knows the sparrows, He knows the hairs on your head. He cares for them. So now here I'm caught with a little bit of a paradox, aren't I? Because I'm told that God cares about us intimately. That he knows how many hairs are on your head or maybe how many hairs used to be on some of our heads, right? He knows those things. But yet we are finite. Again, Ecclesiastes says, man, we're, we're a mist. We're like a vapor. So what do we do with this? Let's start with what we know. Let's start with what we know before we think we get to our conclusion. What do we know? There's some things we know in life because God's words tells us. We know this. We know that sin has stretched its hand into everything. Romans 3 reminds us for all all are sinful. They've all fallen short of God's glory. But what else do we know? We know that we're loved more than we can ever comprehend as God's children. How do we know? John 3 tells us that God's loved the world. He gave his one only son. Right? Whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. There's a, there's a love for us when we're in Christ Jesus that is beyond our comprehension. We're loved far more than we can ever understand or comprehend. And when you try to put your physical emotion of love that you experience towards someone else on how much God loves you, it falls short God's love for you when you are in Christ Jesus is far greater than anything that we can put our minds around. And we know that, that Christ will return, right? Acts 1, 
11, the angel is sitting there and they come to his disciples, just watch him go to heaven and says, look, he's going to come back the exact same way. Why are you standing here? Look at the heavens. He's going to come back. What else do we know? We know that there will be hard parts on earth. Jesus himself said in John 16, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Look, we must remind ourselves that in all of our circumstances, that God is at work. See, Paul reminds us, right, that God works all things together for the good of those who love him or are called according to his purposes. Right? It's, it's, it's a broken phrase. It's an incomplete phrase to say that God works all things together for good. The, the, the entirety of that verse that Paul tells us matters, right? That we pray that, that God will work in our lives, right? That he would accomplish two things. That he would be glorified in our lives. And that he would work for our good. And that sounds very comforting. It sounds very easy. And it sounds very palatable. But we have to remind ourselves again and again that you and I don't get to define what our good is. That God does. And that can be hard. This last, I think just maybe third, I don't know, sometimes last week I just saw, just on social media, that uh, a coworker I had down at LBC, who, their father passed away this week. And I'm trying to figure this out. Like, I think he probably was early 50s. So it tells me tragedy. It tells me sudden. It tells me unexpected. And, and the comments kind of below on Facebook implied that. Right? And, and she just put up a verse that, I will enter his, his house with thanksgiving and praise my heart. That's a bold statement to make when you're trying to wrestle with something that you probably don't understand in that moment. But what does that tell me? That she's trying to think biblically. So we focused last week that, that the call of the believer is the call to think through life, all of life, every facet of life, biblically. What does the Bible say about it? How is this our authority? If you believe this is without error, that it is God's word imparted to mankind through the human inspiration, guided by the work of the Holy Spirit, then, then how does it speak into all of life? It's not my job to make Scripture relevant. It, it always is relevant. It says we know that this will be one of the very few things that passes on as it is into eternity, that God's word will continue to sustain for all of eternity. So then we have to look at it with the things that we know, that when things in life happen that we don't understand and we don't know, well, what do we know? That sin has its effects on all things, that in Christ we are loved more deeply than we can ever fathom. We know that Christ will return, he will set all things new, he will redeem and restore, and that there will be hard things in life as we endure it. We must remind ourselves, as I believe Naomi had to try to remind herself, right? as she tried to figure out the why, but take heart. And Jesus said, I have overcome the world. See, Naomi, she came to the wrong conclusion. God was not sitting in heaven with his mallet of judgment just smashing down on her because she had one sin she forgot about and didn't confess. See, under a relationship with Christ, that there is no need for last rites. Nobody has to come in and give you your last rites before you take your last breath, hoping that everything gets sorted out in the end. But no. 
With, with God as our Father in heaven, there is, is comfort and safety because we are fully established in Christ. The view of the gospel is it has very little to do with you. I think it's Tim Keller or Piper, someone says, right? What do you bring to salvation? Your sin. That's what you bring. Man, God brings a saving work. And so when we encounter things that we simply don't understand, it could very well be that you might never understand it. Right? And this is where an element of walking by faith comes into play. That, that God is at work, that he can redeem any situation and any person he can bring into his, his family through faith in Christ alone. See, Naomi came to the wrong conclusion, but we don't have to come to that conclusion in our lives. That's the first thing we noticed. Secondly, this, we notice this, we notice that Naomi, she wanted to connect that suffering, right, to deep sin. Right, but, but, but again, don't conclude there. Because there's a, pun- there's, a, there's a difference between punishment and discipline. Right? There, there's a, a difference between God punishing for sin and then, and then disciplining those whom he loves. Right? God has, has shown his punishment, the fullness of it all on Christ. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So for those who are apart from Christ, there is punishment. But for those who are in Christ, there is a gift of eternal life. And so perhaps it could be that there are things taking place in our lives that God is doing that is not comfortable. And we should call that discipline and not punishment. See, what is discipline? It it is correction for the sake of, of the person's good. And now, what I'm not saying is Naomi's being disciplined. What I'm saying is, in our own personal lives here, it could be that when we feel like, like there's something going on, that God is at work in us in ways that we don't like or understand, yes, we may never understand. It could be for something far outside of us, but it could be that God is also just disciplining us. See, just as a parent, right, they discipline a child. When a, a good parent disciplines a child, it is done in love, See, correction is not done in anger, but done for what is believed to be the best for the child. God does not punish those who are his. The punishment has been paid for in the blood of Christ, but he does discipline. Hebrews 12, 5 and 6 says, And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him, for the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. See, before we conclude that our present circumstance is punishment, we need to remind ourselves that, that will not happen when we are Christ, that God will not punish us. If we are his children, then he does lovingly discipline us. He does come alongside us, He may use circumstances. He may use the conviction of the Holy Spirit. He may have his word at work in us, right? The honest voice of a fellow child of God. All these are done to bring out really what is God's work within us for our best. And what is best is that a child of God would would be fully satisfied in knowing and being known by their heavenly father. 
That is what is best for us. That we would be fully satisfied by being known by our Heavenly Father. Before concluding that God is punishing you, please remind ourselves that if you are in relationship with Christ, that cannot happen. Again, we're not given any indication here that Naomi is being disciplined. Right? One should have cautioned her with this conclusion. But it is wise for us to examine ourselves before the Lord. Looking at our circumstances, looking at what we're walking to, asking God, how are you trying to perhaps use this situation I find myself in to refine me, to mold me, to shape me, to become more like Christ? And it could be, again, that we're never meant to know the why of a situation, but we are called to trust that God is at work, that he is able to use all things for our good and for his glory. Lastly, what do we see here in the story of Naomi in this first chapter? We see the bond of covenant relationship being established in the life of Naomi and, and Ruth. Right? Though Naomi had been given, had, was giving freedom to Ruth and Orpah to leave, right, to go home, to start over, right, well, what we see is Ruth choosing to stay. There should not be condemnation by us, by the way, upon Orpah. Right? Orpah was freely given the option to go, and she took it. She chose to go back where? Home. What was familiar, where she could maybe start over again. We shouldn't condemn Orpah for her choice. But what we see here right, is Ruth clinging closely. Listen again to verses 15 to 18. It says this, And she said, See, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you or to go from following you. For where you go, I will go, and where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there will I be buried. May the Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more. See, there's a bond that's been formed here. Perhaps it's rooted in the experience. I'm sure it has to do with that. The experience of just loss of life, broken hearts, broken dreams, all of these things. Probably knit Ruth with Naomi so much where, where Ruth was willing to give a covenant to a relationship with Naomi. And it's a fantastic reminder for us today, church. Right? It's a reminder for us that we are called to live in community, that God does not call people to live isolated. He calls us to be in relationship first with Him through Christ Jesus, restored to our Heavenly Father, and then to each other and to life together. Did you notice Ruth's words? Where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. And your people will be my people. In other words, look, look, all that you are, I'm going to be those things. All that you're about, I'm going to be about. All that you're committed to, I'm going to be committed to. All of those things Ruth was willing to be invested in. All of them. It was not a relationship of convenience. 
It would have been much more convenient and comfortable and easy for Ruth to go back and stay with her family in Moab. She would have found a husband much faster. That's what she was looking for. It was not a relationship that Ruth was making out of convenience. It was a relationship that Ruth was making out of commitment. Look, church, do not settle for soft relationships within the family of God. I think there's a phenomenal parallel to our culture, our church culture. That, That God does call his people to be committed to each other. Not just we happen to be the same people who are gathered together in the same building on a Sunday morning. But that we're committed to each other. That we're committed to get to, to know each other, to open our homes to each other. See, again, Ruth opted out. She chose to go back to Bethlehem. And you see a strange interaction taking place as Naomi enters into Bethlehem. It, it says that people are excited to see Naomi, right? As she comes back home, Naomi says, Look, don't call me Naomi. I'm not interested in that name anymore, right? Naomi means pleasure. It says, call me Mara, which means bitter. But for sure, they probably said, but who is that? Because when they came back into Bethlehem, they recognized Naomi. They were excited. They probably said, where's Elimelech? Where's Malon? Where's where's Chilion? Who's this Ruth person? It was probably hard, but Naomi then had to recount, give an account for the last 10 plus years of her life of broken dreams. Apparently the feeling that God was out to get her. But they probably said, well, well, well you had another daughter-in-law. Right? Yeah, that was Orpah. She decided to stay. People said, well, so this is Ruth? Why'd she come with you? And you know what Naomi probably said? I don't know. But she told me that wherever I'm going to go, she's going to go. Wherever I'm going to live, she's going to live. Wherever I'm going to die, she's going to die. See, Ruth's commitment to her was great. And we might say, that is way more involvement than I want people to be involved in my life. But perhaps God calls us to a greater way of living and we're settling for a lesser way. I was thinking even this morning, what a fantastic, just transient world we live in. Just statistically, play the odds. Kim and I have talked about this a couple times. Four boys. It's likely that they all will not live in a nice, neat, you know, 20-mile radius of us. I'm sure they'll be living somewhere we can drive to. That's going to be no problem. My point is they're going to go. And we hope that that if they go, if it's for college or university somewhere, but maybe to live at some point, that they just, they find community. They find something to invest in, a people to become part of. Look, if you just step back for a moment and evaluate the culture that you just know, 
And so by that, what I mean is the people that you have acquaintances with, you know more than their name, you know their hobbies. And you begin to think about their lives, think about their hobbies, their interests, and their watch what they go to, watch what they're drawn to. And most of those things will have some element of community. It will. What we're finding even in our school system is that there are many communities that try to get created within the community of Little Harbor School. It's not niches. It's not these little social clubs. What I mean is these people are coming together. They're rallied around a common thought, a common idea. They're pulled together by this. Because why does that happen? Because God designs us for relationship. He designs us for community. And there's great temptation to live isolated, really self-centric existence. But God calls us to go beyond the surface and to be committed to people around us, not just happening to be in the same building with them on a Sunday morning. See, there's a reason that I think God calls His people family. The family of God. He calls us who are in Christ, He calls us children. He says, I'm your heavenly Father, And so no matter how jacked up your earthly father might be or might have been, don't allow that to define how God is as our heavenly father. He's a good heavenly father. And he showed that in sending his son. And so the parallel he calls us family, to me implies that he may even desire for us to have a family type of relationship. And again, caution, because perhaps your family is crazy and chaotic and not as close as you might think it should be or want it to be. Maybe it's just as nice distance for you. I don't know. I know this. I talked to my brother on Thanksgiving morning, I think for the first time in three months, two months. I don't know. He lives an hour from here. (laughs) We're going to go see him this afternoon. Like, I don't have this close family thing going on, right? That was one of the biggest adjustments that I had to figure out and Kim had to figure out when we first got married. I have four cousins. I know three of their names. That's, that's truth. I, I don't really know one of them at all. I don't even know their name. Kim has lots of cousins and people that aren't really her cousins that she calls cousins, which makes no sense to me, all right? This right, so idea of family is much easier for her. The idea of me saying, look, let's just live a, a day's drive away from anybody related to us so nobody can pop in. All right, that was a really, I, I wanted that when we were first married. All right. The Lord answered my prayer, just so you know. All right, we live in northern Maine for six and a half years. <laughs> All right, but God's worked through that. And so I've had to relearn what it means to be family by, by how God's word defines that. And I, and I don't think it's limited just our own literal biological family. I really believe that God wants his people to be committed to each other. It's a phenomenal example we actually see here in the life of Ruth. See, as the story of Ruth here, it will continue to unfold for us as we walk out its story. And, and there's so much to be learned. There's so much more. We, we go on for hours just in the first chapter. But Ruth and her story are a reminder to us that when we are God's, we are his children. It's a reminder of a covenant relationship that we, we are given through Christ Jesus. And in being Christ, 
At times, yes, he may discipline us, but it is always to draw us towards him. It's always for our good and to grow in Christ. It's for, for our joy that God disciplines us. Mind for relationship. Again, despite the freedom that Naomi had given to Ruth, Ruth chose relationship. Naomi returned to her homeland and to her people for relationship. So I have to ask the question, where are you finding relationship? Where are you finding Church, listen. I beg you, think biblically. Read your Bible. Grow in your understanding of God and who He is and how He is at work in your life. If you are in Christ, there is no punishment for you that's been absolved into Christ. God is not waiting to smash you like Naomi felt like He was trying to do. It could be He is disciplining you. It could be that He is pruning me. When you prune a plant, I'm sure it's not I don't know, I'm not a plant, but I'm sure it's not a good feeling. But it's for the plant's good. God, he can use everything. He can use every situation. All of it's redeemable. Think biblically. Read your Bible. And grow in your understanding of who God is. And ask him to show you how he's working in your life. Let's pray. God, thank you just for these simple words that you've given us. And there's so many other things that we could just, uh, through observation, discern and kind of pull out of this beginning story of Ruth and the life of Naomi. But Father, uh, would you just remind us that when we are yours, that we are secure and that you do indeed work all things together for good for those who are called according to your purpose, who love you, who are your children. That discipline, if you are doing that in our lives, you're convicting us through your word, which you often will do through the work of your spirit, that it's for our good. Because you want us to find joy, and you know that the greatest joy we can find is in Christ. And so, Father, would you draw us to each other in deep relationship? Would you draw us to you into greater understanding of who you are and who you're calling us to be today? In your name. Amen.